0: Hey, security peeps, this is Renee Small for the Breaking into Cybersecurity and Hacker Valley Studio podcast mashup, where we break LinkedIn every Friday morning. So I will introduce myself, Renee Small, from um, Cyber Human Capital. I work with cybersecurity awesomeness like these three guys and help place people into awesome roles. I will go around and have everyone else introduce themselves. Chris.
1: Which one? You. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: <laughs> My co-host, Chris. <laughs> Hi.
1: Uh, Chris Flumo. also work for um, Grim SMF, uh as a c- senior security consultant, but I also am Renee's co-host on breaking into cybersecurity. love helping people break into the industry and guide their career.
0: Cool. Hacker Valley Studio, Chris.
2: Yes, indeed. Chris Cochran here with Hacker Valley Studio with my co-host, Ron Eddings. I work at Netflix uh, as a threat intelligence lead. And I can't wait to get to this discussion today. This is, uh, is going to be great.
3: Awesome. And Ron Eddings here, uh, also co-host of Hacker Valley Studio. Uh, during my day job, I'm at Palo Alto Network's uh, architect and architect manager.
0: Very cool. So today, our topic, it came through last week, we had a lot of awesome questions. Um, But one of the questions that came through was around what is better in the cybersecurity space? Is it better to be a go deep and, and have like be a master of one thing? Or is it to be, or is it to kind of be, have a jack of all trades? So the conversation today is going to be is it better to have jack of all trades experience and a little bit of everything, kind of like the CISSP in those domains? Or is it better to be a master of one? Who wants to start?
3: I'll take I say it. Let, let Crisco. <laughs> he's,
2: he's been oh, up
3: about this all week. <laughs> I, I,
0: I, gotta,
2: I gotta be real with you guys. This <laughs> has been a topic. That's been like center to my life for as long as I can remember. I've always, I've always admired masters, whether it's a master sports player, Michael Jordan, Muhammad Ali, Wayne Gretzky, Babe Ruth, all of those greats, or a master of thinking and science, Einstein, looking at folks like Leonardo da Vinci, stuff like that. And I've always been envious of these, these masters. And it took me a long time, actually just a few years ago, where I realized that there's this concept of a master generalist. These are people that dip into different aspects of life, different aspects of learning, and they're actually able to apply it to different problem sets. And so I I felt like, uh, come on, I have to be a master of something. I have to be a master of something. And I, I could not stick with one thing long enough to become like the master or the best or whatever it was. So uh, case in point, the longest thing outside of like wrestling, my career and all that stuff, the longest thing I've ever done is dance. So wrestling. Yeah, I was a wrestler from (laughs) from eight, eight years old up until uh, senior in high school. Oh, yeah. A lot lot of things coming out, right? A lot of things coming out right now.
0: We need to see some of this. (laughs) Oh
2: Yeah, I'll I'll show you right now. So uh, the the thing about dance that I loved is I I did street dance. So popping. And the thing I loved about that, and the reason why I was able to do it for so long, is there's so many different modalities within dance. So, you have things that uh, my favorite is waving, right? So, like stuff like this. And you have different modalities. You got to popping, you have uh, pop animating,
0: Uh-oh. you got
2: isolating. You have all these different modalities within dance. And that's why I was able to stick with it for so long. But being able to dip into different dance styles is actually what ended up making me a better dancer. So the same thing for cybersecurity. The thing that I, I really appreciate, and it's so funny because there was actually just a, a podcast uh, on the Jordan Harbinger show with David Epstein. He wrote uh, Range and he also wrote The Sports Gene. And one of the things, the title of his book and the title of the podcast is uh, Why Generalist, Generalists Triumph. In a specialized world and it's a super phenomenal podcast i definitely encourage people to, to check it out I'll, I'll pop it on the uh the chat in a moment but i love i love mixing it up you have to generalize in my opinion first and then you can specialize in the future
1: yeah i, I would um i would agree with that i started out in general it and I think through the years of that, I started to find out where my strengths and weaknesses are, where I have particular interests to dive deep, and then that's how I ended up in cybersecurity. But even still now, I still find other ways to generalize, like uh, project management or um, risk management and different things that come into your overall specialty, but they're still a field in their own.
3: I would love to hear uh, Renee's thoughts on um, generalist versus uh, kind of master at their craft, because it sounds like, you know, Renee, you've been a security analyst and you've always been talented at finding people. How did you kind of blend the two and also separate the two?
0: Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. And I have I I, I love this book called Mastery. Yes, And I think Chris kind of alluded to some of the things that they say in there around um, being the master of one thing, um, and then being able to branch out. So, from my, from what I've seen, and what I, what I see, leaders look for is they typically look for masters of a thing. Um, and so, I think that sometimes, if you are, especially when you're you're junior, more junior in your career, really trying to hone like one skill set. And sometimes these skill sets are like really, really like broad. So for me, honing that security, not security, sorry, honing recruiting, like really understanding what it's like to recruit. People think recruiting is, is, is easy. It's easy when, <laughs> when there's a lot of people. Actually, it's not even, it's easy when it's small, when it's a repeatable process, kind of like if you're hiring customer service reps or something like that. When you're hiring people who are like you all, it's very nuanced. Um, it takes a longer time. It's it's not something that anybody could just jump right into. So really honing that skill set or any skill set um, and becoming the master in that space is great. And then you could kind of branch out and do so. I I honestly think I agree with both Chris's, but I think it's the reverse. So versus going broad in the beginning. My recommendation or my, um, what, I, what I've seen and what I see leaders look for um, is somebody, especially in the beginning, having like really honing something, really owning like a space and then being able to take those skills and then transfer them over to other areas.
1: What advice would you give to someone that doesn't know what area they want to hone in to be able to do that? to specialize first and then generalize mm-hmm.
0: after. I have great advice.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I have a rebuttal after your uh, advice.
1: Already so, a rebuttal?
2: I, I, then I then have a rebuttal.
0: Right.
2: <laughs> she, she started <laughs> with the rebuttal. Out, yes.
0: you, see, you see what I'm talking Let me just, can I just make it disappear? I, do I you could do that. You could.
2: You have that power. Right? Please don't, power. please don't make me disappear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I love a lively debate. So, um, there's a couple of different things when, I, and I tell this to parents all the time, there is, um, there are ways for people to understand what they're really good at, even at a young age. Um, and uh, I have to remember the actual book, Strengths Finder. Strengths Finder mm. is an awesome book. So, and they have one for teens. Um, they have one for adults. But it really, really shows you, even as a young person, where your um, strengths lie. And parents sometimes can, you know, parents can see this in their children, too. I know, Chris, you were talking about your five-year-old being like this big gamer. Mm. My five-year-old is a gamer, too. I was thinking about, like, we got to get the five-year-olds together. Maybe Chris's <laughs> five-year-old, too. too. But <laughs> this things that I see are immediately in one child over another that I automatic. I'm like, I can see where they their strengths lie. So um, my five-year-old is very musical, musical. Um, I'll give you an example when I, my eight year old, when he was about six or so, or five, started putting him on the piano and getting him piano lessons, he absolutely hated it. I mean, he fought me tooth and nail, didn't wanna do any of it at all. His brother, who who is three years younger, started sitting next to him at the piano and would say, mommy, I want the lessons, I wanna take the lessons. I'm like, you're too young, you know, like not yet, not yet, not yet. And so the teacher said, well, give him 15 minutes and see, you know, we'll just tack on a piece since this one doesn't want to do anything anyway. Let's just tack that time on. He, I mean, he completely, everything that the older brother didn't want to do, this guy jumped in and started doing. And so seeing that, it said, you know, you want to hone that, you want to fan that flame. Um, Same thing with the eight-year-old. He is... When he was four, he said to me, I want to be a sock wear engineer, S-O-C-K wear engineer, which was hilarious to me. Um, and he wanted a job in cybersecurity, which like, of course. Uh, but anyway, I just saw how he would rip apart everything. Like he kept taking apart um, everything in here. He wanted to just see how things worked, right? So he started taking apart, he wanted robots. He wanted, he wanted to focus on like... Um, Anything to me looked like mechanical engineering, STEM, like that kind of stuff. So I, I had said to him at the time, he was four, I got to find you a STEM camp. And, you know, when you tell a kid something, you just, they, they're not letting it go. So he would say to me, mommy, you got to find me the STEM camp. So I said, oh, Lord. So I had to look and try to find a STEM camp for a four-year-old, which was virtually impossible. By the, by the time he got to, like, five or six, they had some. Mm-hmm. And he went into this one place called STEM tree that I love, and the... The guy who owns it is a PhD in um, in uh, he has a in, in computer science and stuff like that. And he was like, "Oh my God, your child is like a fish to water." Like he completely came in. He started coding in scratch like immediately. It just was mm-hmm. so immediate, and you can see that a lot of times in kids. Um, well, a parent can see it in a kid, and the kid might obviously can't express that because he didn't know that that's what he you know that's where I should be fanning the flame for him. Um, but I see, I've seen that in, in being, working in different organizations and what have you. And you can see that people have different skills that they might not necessarily know is something that's either A, transferable, or there's a job for, or can make a lot of money doing these things. Right. Um, and I think that like, um, books like StrengthsFinder is an excellent, excellent book to, there's a, there's a quiz in there. Um, they actually have one online. Um, and you can kind of do this quiz for like 10 bucks or whatever. And it points you and tells you, okay, if you are the person who, um, if you're the person who likes to organize people's homes all day, (laughs) you know, like this is what, if you're a kid that your room is like the most organized room of every every teenager that's out there, every college student that's out there, you have a skill, you know, you're Mm -hmm. like the unique person. Um, Chris is asking or Chris Fallon is asking, what? Um, how would I recommend that for college students or adults who still don't know what they want to do? Go take the exam. Go take the it's a quick quiz. Strengths finder. Uh, it takes, I don't know, 10 minutes or something to complete, sometimes longer. And it kind of gives you it tells you if you like doing these things or if you, you lean towards these things, um, these are the professions that could be a good fit for you. So, so that's what I would say.
2: Yeah, no. So so I do agree with you that when you're first getting into uh, an, a role, obviously, they want you to do something well, right? But I'm, I'm going to take it like a step back, like before you actually get to the role. And so I'm going to bring up the book that you brought up, Mastery. Love that book. It's fantastic. There's a concept of the clicking moment in the book of Mastery. And that clicking moment is when you're doing something, and then all of a sudden, all of your passions all of your effort is in alignment with the task that you're trying to do. And so whenever you're trying different things, you're tr- maybe you're trying different things in cybersecurity, maybe you're you know, trying out some, maybe you're doing a CTF or pen testing, maybe you're uh, you know, messing around with some code, maybe you're doing different projects. Once you, you know, dip and dabble in those different things and you find out, oh, wow, I, I really love building firewall uh, rules. That's my favorite thing to do ever. And I'm going to do it to the cows come home. And so then when you get that role as a firewall engineer, then all of a sudden your job is in alignment with the stuff that you like to do anyways. And there's nothing and, and there's nothing better than that from a job satisf- satisfaction standpoint. So I, I, to bring up another book, Ultra Learning, Ultra Learning by uh, Scott Young. Uh, really, really good book. I highly recommend folks to go check it out. It's Ultra Learning. Uh, and what that teaches you about in, in one of the sections is meta learning. It's learning about learning. So as you're learning these different modalities in cybersecurity, you're figuring out different problem sets. You're figuring out different things about cybersecurity. And so when you click, then you're learning about learning. And so now if you need to pivot, we were talking about mental agility last time. If you If you need to pivot, pivot, you'll be able to much more easily because you know how to learn and you know where your passions lie and you'll be able to experiment. So that's all I would say about that.
0: Ron, what are your thoughts?
3: <clears throat> my thoughts are a little bit of both. and I um, So I started my career out kind of going just focused on computer networking and I thought it was great. I think since I, I built such a deep understanding in networking, it was one of the fundamentals of security. So I think that if you're interested in like something like cybersecurity, there's plenty of things that you can pick, kind of to your point, Renee, that you can go deep on. There's uh, certain tests that you can take to understand what part of cybersecurity might be most interesting to you. Um, but either way, there's, a, a, there's quite a few fundamental topics that are in cybersecurity that one expert needs to be kind of proficient in no matter what. So I think uh, one of those areas that might be going away a little bit now with the introduction of uh, cloud uh, technology is computer networking, such a fundamental thing for cybersecurity. I would also say um, uh, now software engineering is becoming one of those fundamental building blocks to become an expert generalist in cybersecurity without being able to develop code. Now, you're slow, now your ability to rapidly pivot is, is halted. So I think that there's plenty of areas where you could pick to focus on going deep because no matter what you pick in cyber, you're going to need to be good at a few things. Um, so I, w- I would say that would be my recommendation to start with. And then once you get something under your belt where employers or organizations need you, then start branching out and becoming that expert generalist.
1: So what would you, what specific advice would you give to someone that thinks that um, they want to come in the field and you're like, I have a CISSP, but I, I'm still not getting callbacks, or um, I love security, but I don't know which areas to specialize in? How would you have them narrow down which areas that they might have strengths and weaknesses in?
0: I have, a, I have an answer for that one. Um, I had an awesome leader who he brought in people that had different skill sets and many of us had not had anything. We didn't know about cybersecurity. And so he had us do two things. Chris full on has this awesome list of blogs and and, um, and and podcasts and things like that, that he that's how actually he and I connected <laughs> because he has such a group. Um, uh, a list of, I don't know how long it is now, but at the time it was like what, 30, 40 different um, podcasts, I think Chris?
1: Yeah, there's at least um, 30 to 50 podcasts, same for books, and anytime I get a new book, I'll add to it um, but I, I've, I've been all slacking on that part, but I, I definitely should <laughs> should go back and update it. Wait,
2: here, here's an important question, are we on that list?
0: <laughs> I was going to say, we yes, got to add you in there now if it's not and on there. Yes, it. you are. Um, but it was a list of podcasts to listen to, books to read, things that a new newbie cyber person should know about, especially for someone coming in like me who z- knew zero. When I say zero, it was like zero. Um, and another thing he asked us to do was he said to look at the CISSP book. Um, yeah. And he said, don't dig deep into it, but like skim the surface, like look at every chapter and see which ones resonate with you. And so I think that was really, really helpful because there were certain parts of it like cryptology. It just was not, you know, I'm falling asleep reading that. But there are other parts of it that seemed very interesting. And all of us that were coming in from different areas and we had, some of us had had, you know, 10 years of experience in other other areas. There was a person that came in from audit. There was a person that came, um, he was like an internal auditor. There was a person that came in who had um, she, I believe, had um, she was like an administrative assistant or operations person um, in 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 not IT operations, but like company operations. So there were people coming in with different backgrounds. And so he had us all look at um, the. He had us all pretty much look at the um, the book, and then he said, "Which of these resonate with you? Like, wh- which ones of these? If you pick two, or th- you know, one. If it's one, great. If it's a couple, then that's great too. And then if they resonate with you, it's a really good way to start to just figure out where you want to be. Because I think that's a great question or great point that Chris brought up in terms of people. Cybersecurity is so broad. There's so many different aspects to it. So it's just like, okay." Which one is going to, which part of this do I want to dig into? Um, And that was a really, really great piece of advice for us. Um, And it made me kind of hone in. I I talked about this last week. It made me hone in on um, the insider threat. That was very, very interesting to me, understanding, you know, the whole psychology behind people that 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 hack that that break into things, the cyber crimi- you know, criminals as a whole is very very interesting. And it made me a lot, you know, the HR in me that hat was on, and I kind of dug deep into that space and ended up getting a certification in that. Mm-hmm. So I would say that was a great piece of advice that was was given to me that worked, and I know it worked with another peer, the person who's who was in an in internal audit. I think he ended up becoming. moved to west coast and I think he he dug deep into incident response there was just like certain areas of it that people resonated with some of us you know over others so that was a good piece of advice that was given to me
1: I would say um for those that might not be interested in the, the typical tech things um so you're not a coder you're not like that understand how the business works how security helps the business, and then you can help from there. Because if you know how the business works, then you can help with writing policy, writing procedures, um, showing the business the impact of lack security so that you can get budgets, so that you can get projects approved, um, so that you can show them the risks that they're taking on for new endeavors. those would be some of the areas that I would consider for those who might not be your, your traditional hands-on keyboard coding type. I'm definitely one of those. I like to understand um, the psychology, why things work, and how best to describe them to, to individuals, and then go from there. So you could be a trainer, you could be a marketer, you could, you could just be someone writing proposals um, or policies, things like that.
3: That's a that's a good point. Um, I think that's often the area that cybersecurity experts often have gaps in is like understanding the business, how to uh, be more understandable or clear when they uh, submit any type of writing. Um, So I I think like if if someone was interested in kind of uh, casting a wide net, I would definitely have them focus on understanding business and uh, give them insightful questions to ask to constantly uh kind of gauge where the impact is at so maybe one question is um what are what are are we often spending the most time on when it comes to security related tasks if you ask enough organizations that you're going to find commonalities and that could be one area that you could focus pretty deeply on and and just get really good at even without having the technical skills
2: well, one thing that I'd like to ask, um, to, to one of your points, Ron, uh, so given your story, you started with networking, right? And then you made that transfer over to cybersecurity. But let's say you gave that advice to somebody who started in networking, but little do they know, they would find their passion in web app pen testing. But now they're stuck in this track of networking and they're, they're hating it. What advice would you give to somebody like that?
3: It takes a lot of bravery. It takes a lot of bravery to go against what you just got good at and start starting to do something new. So when I started uh, kind of focusing uh, kind of more specifically on cybersecurity, I was really upset because I just took all the time to take uh, learn about computer networking, learn about Cisco devices. And I honestly spent very little time working on any Cisco devices like I think I had like a three-month stint where I was a network engineer, and then it was straight into cybersecurity. It felt a little counterintuitive. I think a lot of people in my life that aren't in technology had a lot of questions for me. Like, why would you spend so much time on this domain and then pivot into something else that, on average, makes less? At that time, on average, uh, network engineers made more than someone that was like at an entry-level cyber position. Um, Hmm. But I think it just takes a lot of bravery. It takes... Uh, You understanding that maybe you're good at something, but you want to be even better at something else or you want to be my, my, my idea for myself is becoming a Renaissance man. And that involves (laughs) me becoming good at everything. Unfortunately, it's a, it's an impossible task, but it's something that always keeps me going in the morning and at night. Yeah.
2: I I have a question that's from uh, one of the chats. Uh, Eric asks uh, to enter a tier one sock role, How much hands-on networking skills does he need to to be successful?
3: It depends on the org. It depends on the organization. I would say at least probably enough for like network plus level knowledge for uh, entry-level SOC. I work with a lot of SOCs, and I think that most of the uh, analysts and engineers in SOCs, they understand the tools, but they also understand at least the surface level of the technology. Mm-hmm. So, if you're in uh, an organization that has a lot on-prem, I, I think quite a bit, ne- quite a bit of networking is needed. Uh, hey, hey, Chris's kid, and also if you're uh, working at a cloud shop, then you might not need those networking skills.
2: Yeah,
1: I, I would also say I think it depends on the type of work. So, for example, if you are in a MSSP, um, you might just be yes. stuck looking stuck looking at logs all the time, and you never actually get into any of the technical hands-on because you're managing so many customers, you're really just there to triage <laughs> and then escalate to someone else that that can do it versus doing it yourself. But if you're in a smaller organization, um, the levels tend to blend or blur a lot more, um, especially if you don't have sufficient resources to really set those stages. Um, you, you'll usually be entry level um, to tier two, and then your more experienced person will be tier two through tier three or tier four um, and have that specialization. So, like you said, it depends on the org and the size of the company.
2: Yep. I got a question I think would be perfect for Renee. Uh, I think it's Yusuf, I hope I'm saying your name right. Uh, said, hi, thank you for doing this. My question is, how does practice of cybersecurity and hiring compare between the D.C. area and the West Coast?
3: Ooh, good one.
0: Good question. So um, and then he also adds, for example, between startup culture companies like Netflix and larger Fortune 500 and government contractors. So I think on I have to find a site for you. I can't remember the name of the site, but it showed D.C as the cybersecurity capital i think it's called cybercapital.us i believe is the site mm. um because the most at the time maybe a year or two ago the most opportunities in cybersecurity were in the washington dc metro area um with that said there's because of you know the three letter agencies that we have here in this area, there's just an abundance of opportunities um, in large organizations and government, especially government organizations and government contracting. Almost at one at one point, being here in the D.C. area, um, I used to recruit. Prior to being in D.C., I used to be I used to live and work in New York, and it was fascinating to me to come down here and see all of the. Um, so much cybersecurity um, talent, so much cyber, secu- so many open cybersecurity positions um, in the DC area. I also work well. I, I work on roles nationwide, and from a West Coast perspective in the startup space. Obviously, you know we got Chris and Ron here, <laughs> so we got Chris uh, in DC, Chris and Ron in the Valley, um, and they can tell you about all of the opportunities over there because it, there is a huge. Um, huge level of opportunities in the startup space. Um, Startups are getting kind of pummeled a little bit right now, specifically ones that are in like the food service industry um, and um, some of the the ones that are not as established. So like a Netflix, well, everybody's watching Netflix right now. (laughs) Netflix is doing great. You know, certain companies, Palo Alto Networks, things like that, technology companies um, are doing well, but a lot of the, some of the other startups that are in industries that have suffered, unfortunately due to COVID-19, um, they are struggling right now. Um, the government is the government. So there's tons of opportunities over here. And Chris can tell you probably too, cause he's worked at a number of government contractors um, in his career, right Chris, when you moved up here from Florida. Yeah,
1: yeah, I would say I've noticed throughout my job search that each area has their areas of expertise. So D.C. is um, government and government supply chain. Um, New York tends to be financial. Um, The southeast and Texas tends to be like oil and gas. Um, Hollywood area is entertainment. And then you have your San Francisco area, which is predominantly focused in tech, and then your Seattle, Portland area, which is kind of your your social type companies tend to spring out of there. So each area has their, their areas of expertise. And if you're looking to go to one of those areas, that could be an easy way to get in, because well, before COVID, everyone liked to have someone in the office. Um, but now that might be a little bit different.
3: So, a uh, question for you two, um, and also really even Chris What's the difference and the importance of kind of being a generalist or being an expert in a specific thing when you're looking at uh, working at a technology slash security company versus uh, a company focused in another domain like financial or medical? What do you think the importance is for being a generalist or an expert in a specific thing based off of those differences? You go ahead, Chris. I
1: would say for any of your highly regulated environments, um, your generalists tend to have less responsibilities because you tend to get pigeonholed into one of your regulated areas, Um, whereas a generalist in tech tends to be able to do a lot more things Um, at least from my experience.
2: Yeah, the other thing I would also say, it depends on the size of the org and also the maturity of the org. Because when you're younger, you're leaner, you'll have people that need to do a number of things. Maybe they need to do program management. Maybe they need to do architecture and they need to do response, right? They might have to do a a whole, a a large swath of things. So I think it really depends. When you get to the bigger, massive organizations, that's when you can be much more specialized and just have a piece of the pie. Very true.
0: I would add that, I I would echo what you both said. Um, I also think that when you are more junior in your career, it's, Sometimes easier to get into one of those bigger shops because they have more opportunity to. They have a bigger group. So, for example, I was talking to a I was talking to a, a leader yesterday um, in cybersecurity, and he talked about working at HP and how at HP they had a security group of 350 people um, versus you know some smaller shop, a leaner shop. The whole company will be three, <laughs> if 350 people. So. Sometimes um, the opportunity to get into uh, security and, and not fully understand what you want to do can come from those bigger shops that take in um, groups of, you know, 50, 60, hundreds of, of talent um, relatively often. I also just got one of my call right before this was with, um, I partner with a high school, local high school here in Fairfax County and the amazon web services aws is doing some amazing work with them and they're hiring in um, 40 or so children um, high school students uh, for internship opportunities and we were talking about how awesome that is that a company you know obviously aws is huge they can they can afford the opportunity to you know 40 of these students and i think i think overall it's just going to be more but in particular in Fairfax County area, it's going to be that amount of students from that that school system. Um, So they have the, you know, they have the, 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 because they're so huge and because it's so broad, um, they have the ability to have a a big enough internship program. Um, I know other big, huge companies like PwC, like the big four, they are notorious for bringing in thousands of Entry level folks, thousands of college grads, um, because they know that as people go up the chain, you know, they bring in 3,000, They know, in a year or two, there's a metric, like, I don't know the exact me- metric, but out of the 3,000 that show up, you know, by year number two, you're going to end up with like 2,000 left or 1,500 or whatever it is. So they go and, you know, do recruiting at all these various schools to get this level of talent. So I, um, uh, i i would recommend that especially when you're looking from a college perspective if you have a limited experience and, and um, folks that are just breaking in really try to go for those bigger orgs um, because they'll allow you to get in with the less you know with less knowledge because they have the resources to be able to train you whereas if you're in a, a smaller org a lot of the times not all the times but a, a smaller org sometimes they can't um, they don't have the resources, hence why they mm-hmm. want somebody with five years, 10 years experience, because they want an expert to come in, do the thing <laughs> yep. or things, multiple things. And then um, and then could potentially bring people on as they grow and get bigger.
1: Yeah, I would say from my experience, if you're if you're joining a big four. Um, two things happen. A, you get an intense amount of learning in a short period of time. But because you have that intense amount of learning in a short period of time, you also have a lot of burnout. And I think that's one of the reasons for that, that retention rate that some of these companies have and why they need that continual um, <clears throat> recruitment efforts because they have high churn rates. So it's great for the students who can learn a lot, but then... It's only those that can survive the immense amount of pressure and the high workload that tend to stay very long in those consulting companies. Um, When I was working with one of them, the average rate that someone's coming in as a junior consultant to make it to a senior consultant was about 25% and to a manager was 5% of that. Um, I joined the org as i think the 95th percentile but then two years later i was in the 50 percentile of how many people were there from like the the longevity standpoint so um there's a pros and cons to each and so if that's something that you want to trial by fire go ahead
0: and specifically in the so when you think about pwc because i'm I'm thinking about a couple different ones so to chris's point chris exactly kind of. Spelled out what I mean. Like they know they're going to hire in 5,000, 3,000, how many our students or college grads? And then they know because of the grind that it's going to shake out 50, 75%, how many of a percentage point, um, percent of, of people. Um, but at other Fortune 500 companies, like if you think of like the bigger, real huge banks and a city group or you know, some of these bigger organizations where there's it's, it's definitely um, a grind as well, However, they have the resources to be able to. You may be able to stick in there a little bit longer. Um, and nowadays, you know, the last I checked on the the um, the, uh, the rates of what I think Gen Z <laughs> now, I you know Gen Y and Gen Z. You know, go, the end of the end of Gen Y and the beginning of Gen Z um when I saw some stats a couple probably about a year ago folks only stuck around in jobs for 11 months well in this area for about a year anyway Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like getting in getting that experience and then um and moving around
3: I was gonna ask when do you think um I will see like or, or at what point in someone's career do you start to see them stay at positions longer and longer is there Kind of like a correlation between like the amount of experience that one has that kind of correlates to how long they stay at uh, one company?
0: I think that, and I don't have the statistics in front of me, but anecdotally, and I think from things that I read um, a couple of years ago, that there is definitely a correlation with... <laughs> I think, I mean, I think about myself personally with the kind of stuff you put up with as a parent and you know, like, do I really feel like going out there looking for another job right now? You know, things like that. Whereas when, you know, I, it wasn't, um, you know, I didn't have the level of responsibility that I have today, I would tell some company goodbye, you know, like, okay, I'm not learning enough or I'm not getting what I came here to get, um, you know, so I'm gonna go look for it elsewhere. Um, and what I have learned after, you know, the, the maturity level, you realize like it's give and take wherever. So in one area where you may not learn X, you learn Y. Like I think there's always something to take away um, from these various experiences. But anecdotally and without actual data in front of me, I would say that when a person gets kind of to the point of quote settling down so they get to okay i'm a little bit i have more responsibilities now i have a family i have things like that kind of years of experience kind of get to seven eight six seven eight years experience then you start to see more of longer tenures um because interviewing and looking for jobs and what you give up and things like that are different um also depending on the company so a lot of it it's interesting when you get the data from the company side. A lot of times companies will have um, metrics around their turnover rate and when people turn over in certain companies. And so I remember being at one large company where the turnover rate, like if you made it past three years, regardless of the the um, regardless of like your age bracket or your generational bracket, you're you're likely to stay for a very long time. Um, but if you don't make it, like, <laughs> it's the under the three year mark. That's the point where it was just like a ton of time and time of turnover. But after three years, people stay like five, 10, 15 years, um, because they were able to navigate kind of the, um, political landscape of the organization. So it, it's, I think it's, um, it's by generation and then a lot of times by organization as well.
2: One thing yeah. that I, I wanted to bring up is, uh, this this theme that i think all four of us have kind of touched on in this this theme of the grind and the art of the grind is learning and one thing that i i take from ron uh he has two concepts that he always brings up and i think they're brilliant it's being a lifelong learner and then also learning at scale so i'd love to hear from the master himself uh about his thoughts on those 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 concepts yeah. learning
1: at scale i want to hear learning about
3: that one. at scale exactly so I think learning at scale is all about um, figuring out a way, better ways to learn. So uh, oftentimes people go once, twice with learning how to learn something like maybe it is learning how to read or even learning how to memorize things. Um, If you're able just to take kind of root cause, what's the reason why it's slow for you to learn specifically? It might be because it takes you too long to read. It could be because you just can't remember anything that you just read. Um, So I look at learning at scale, finding the root cause for the inability to learn and fixing it. So my main root causes were what I just described. I was a slow reader, and I also wasn't the best at uh, remembering or having the ability to recall what I had just learned. So I took two courses. I took a reading course, which wasn't necessarily like just a speed reading course. It was a, it was a course that one taught you how to read correctly. And that's by using a pointer or some type of device, finger or whatever it is to keep track for your eyes, where you're at visually on the page. And the second, the second technique that I did was of chunking words. So I used to read words one by one on a page and I started reading them in groups and it's a certain, uh, practice things that you have to do. There's drills that you have to do on a daily basis to get better at it. It's a, it's a process. Um, and I also went through the ability, the a course, to learn how to memorize things better and recall it. So all about using memory palaces, mnemonics, and other techniques to constantly store things in the right place uh, for recall later. So like if you gave me a list of 10 random words right now, I will be able to not only give it back to you but in any order that you wanted it specifically just because of the way that i stored it in my mind i put it in a room and based off of me walking into this room is where i put that random name or item that you gave me in that list so when i'm looking at a book i'll break it down by topics and i'll put the topics in my room somewhere so for example uh the high uh Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that's spread across my room. The first habit of, of highly effective people is be proactive. At, when I walk into my room, there's a keyboard. I see LeBron James. He's a pro athlete, and that makes me think of proactive. So there's just so many things that you can do to take your learning to the next level to get really everything else that you need.
0: Ron, that's amazing. You should be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, that's what teachers tell you to do. And I've read a couple of books like that, too, with the mnemonics and how um, how people in Greece, um, you know, ancient Greece, how they would learn to give talks for hours and hours and hours. And it would be all of those types of techniques.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I-, I think the other thing is also finding the medium that you learn best from so for example, I have um, dyslexia, I have a learning disability with my eyes. Um, so I've pivoted from less written to more audio type content. So podcasts, audible books, and I've actually trained myself to where if I don't listen to things at two speed, it's too slow for me. Um, I get bored, but I can listen to things at two speed in an audiobook and be typing an essay at the same time or a report at the same time. And everyone's like, wait, how do you do that? It's just because I've trained myself to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a couple comments here. Um, I just realized I was looking at Chris's feed and responding <laughs> versus my own feed. Oh, no. <laughs> it's all You have good. a bunch there's of questions, questions a bunch on of questions yours? questions in here. So um, Dylan says, I have to learn hands on. I'm an instructor at UCF and try to get all my students on keyboard as often as possible. Um, and that's how I learn too. I'm a big hands-on. If I don't get in and do it and learn by example, I completely it just it goes right over my head. Like I could read something and it's in one ear and out the other, or listen to something, but unless I'm actually physically touching it, doing it, um, that's how I learn the fastest. Francesco was on here too. Tons of yeah. comments.
3: What about you, Chris? What what's your um what's your strategy for Becoming this expert generalist that you're you're interested in becoming, and that you already are today. Yeah, I, I
2: like doing deep dives into different aspects of of life, of learning different things. So, uh, you know, for, there was a period of time I was a, a power lifter. So for about six months or so, I I dove deep on powerlifting, living it, breathing it, and then I I was on to the next thing. Um, I, I didn't like I said I didn't stick along with, uh, stick a, with something long enough to become like the master of powerlifting. But I now have like the basic knowledge of powerlifting and I could teach the basics to, I think just about anybody. And so the same for cybersecurity, the same for dance, the same for all these different aspects of my life. And my, one of my favorite things that I learned, from dance I actually learned it from my dance teacher out here in California is breaking things up into two chunks like what are specific skills that you can isolate from everything else get really good at those things and then be able to apply them to the rest of the craft that you're trying to develop so for instance like for dance I would sit and I would do arm waves for hours just just arm waves by themselves and I became really good at them and I was able to actually apply them within dance without even thinking about it so I always talk about deliberate practice and incremental improvements, and that's how I think you get great at anything.
0: See, master mastering the arm <laughs> weights. <laughs> I won't even I won't even try to do what you just did. Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to play myself. So there's so many comments on here. Uh, Ron Robinson wants to know what are some of the character 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 traits needed for cyber security? For example, trust. Um, he wants to he wants to know some of the characteristic traits.
1: I would say curiosity for me, um, the ability to see something, figure out why it works or even like why it doesn't work. Um, or if you're in a sock, like where did it come from? What caused this? All those things, having that innate curiosity is definitely one of them.
3: There's uh, there's so many from my perspective. Um, I think that it, it always comes back to kind of springboarding off of Chris. It always comes back to curiosity. Mm -hmm. If you're not interested or curious enough to learn more about security, it's going to be a tough road because it constantly changes. So I think if you have that base level of just curiosity about, even it doesn't have to even be security. I think if it's about technology, that's great. Because if you're curious about technology, security is kind of integrated with technology. I know that there's more aspects of security now, especially That doesn't lead to using the technology. But um, as we see more technology come into the organizations, the business place, there's going to be more opportunities to secure those things, too.
2: Yeah. Curiosity and self-discovery. Those are my one of my favorite or two of my favorite concepts of just being human.
1: You're a teenager again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Chris is keeping us young. Steve Owen says, think he thinks that having a glass half-empty perspective helps. It enables you to see threats that optimists often dismiss. So having that, and, and, and Chris um, full on also added that um, around the, the curiosity, not only in technology, but just as a whole. So if you're curious, just a curious person, and you're one of the you know, you think about like your nosy neighbor who's always kind of like, what's going on? <laughs> like, you want to dig deep, you want to find out what's happening. Um, just as a whole, it doesn't even necessarily to be, need to be technology, just curious about different things. You'll just dig. You'll end up doing the research, You'll, you're, you, 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 it's innate.
1: I, I would say like one of the other things is there's two parts for cybersecurity. There's the tech and then there is the people. And the people could be your users, how to enable them, or it could be the attackers, how you're going to find holes and exploit the holes within your technology. Um, So you want to be able to both help your users do what they need to do, prevent any unintended actions, and then also think about how the attacker is going to do it and prevent them from doing what they should do. You won't always be 100% perfect on that, but then at that point you should know how to identify when they've gotten through or when they've done
0: something that they shouldn't have done. George says he's become, he's been called curious George in his field of (laughs) (laughs) cybersecurity. This is George Frog. Yeah. You know, I think we all hear this so often. I hear it all the time from leaders. When people, when, when leaders are asking me, when they, you know, they think about bringing on, especially the more entry-level folks, it's like, I need to. I need to know this person is passionate, um, and I need to know that they are curious. And again, passionate is like it could be passionate in something. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Obviously, if you're passionate about security, that's great. But just seeing that passion, and I think that translates over into many roles that I've had to fill and, and work. You know, leaders to work with. They want to know that people. Um, can take that passion, take that drive, and it's going to translate into whatever you do. So if you're one of these people who you're going to stay up to get something done just because that's that's innate to you, like I, I said that I was going to do X and I'm going to get it done regardless, that's going to translate from, you know, doing X in sports, doing X in whatever, and then taking that over into your day job. So um, it's something that comes up very, very often. Almost every single leader I've spoken to around security as a whole, they say curiosity. Um, that's probably the number one thing, and then they also add in um, passion in the space. Yep, so. yep. Wow! Look,
1: whoa, we've already approached fifty-two minutes. So, <laughs>
0: um,
1: we'll we'll start with summarizing everyone's thoughts into one piece of sage advice. So I will start with Renee. And Renee, the question is, if you had one piece of sage advice for choosing to become a master or a generalist, what would that be?
0: So before I answer that, I got a question because I like to answer the question. (laughs) I'd like to answer the questions from here. Uh, Tyrone wants to know, any advice for a newbie, newbie who made a career change into cybersecurity working in the field less than three years in, but older than all of y'all?
3: <laughs> I mean, <laughs>
2: he just
0: got in three years ago, but he's older than all of us. <laughs> I, I would,
2: What I would say to that is I think that is actually an advantage because you have experience that other people aren't going to have, and you'll be able to apply that experience to problem sets And be able to come up with creative solutions that people that are much younger won't be able to do.
1: Business life, people experience at that point. You you use that plus your passion for cybersecurity.
0: Yep. Agreed. I I think. I mean. I think Tyrone is awesome. And yes, having more experience than all of us is great. You can you can coach and mentor and train. Mm -hmm. And when we come with all our problems, you have the answers. So. I love some seasoned professionals. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so to answer Chris's question, I would say my favorite—I mean, when people come to me and they ask, like, master um, of all things, or um, or uh, master of one thing, or jack of all trades, <laughs> or master of none—I um, my my two biggest um, recommendations read mastery oh one he said one thing one thing okay (laughs) one thing take the strengths finders assessment um and the reason why i say that one thing is because it will help you define what you are really passionate about and if you've been general and you've touched on a bunch of different things like chris cochran said um, and you're trying to figure out, especially I always look at this from people who are coming into the field and not necessarily knowing like where to begin or where to start. That will help you hone in and do self-reflection mm-hmm. on, oh, the reason why I'm OCD and I line everything <laughs> up in a row <laughs> like, <laughs> that can translate to this thing. Yep. Um, so really doing self-reflection and understanding yourself will help you get to what it is that um, you can become a master of. So. Chris
2: Dabble. I say dabble. there's a huge buffet table full of food. <laughs> Take little bites and figure out what you're going to fill your plate with.
3: <laughs> run same same exact thing. I would say don't get caught up in uh, what you could be good at or what you're interested in specifically. I would say get caught up in just learning learning about everything learning how learning how to enjoy things is very important
1: i would all i would go on a similar path but i'd say follow your curiosity so if your curiosity leads you to just one thing then follow that one thing if your curiosity leaves you, leads you to figuring out everything about everything that that seems to be your natural path
0: Very cool. So Tyrone just said, y'all are so kind. He's hyped and thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Everyone else, George Sprog make making a bunch of comments here. Um, He has such knowledges in a certain field and he tells them that he's curious about it. Uh, Ron Robinson says there's excellent points. George asks his students, what are you passionate about? So it's pretty much everything that we've been more or less saying, the leaders here are kind of echoing. So... Um, and then he, the final part was experience equals failure plus learning. And a little one shows up in the background, <laughs> yeah. I will say bye to everyone here. <laughs> We're at yeah. a 56-minute mark. Beautiful. And, yes, this was awesome. Again, so we'll do it again next week.
2: Let's do okay? it. Perfect. Thanks, everybody. Right. Thanks, care.
0: everybody. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye.